0: Welcome back to The Front Row, and thanks for joining us for our latest edition. I'm Jeff Fellanzer, and I'm excited to welcome one of the best young pitchers in baseball, St. Louis Cardinals right-hander Jack Flaherty, to join me for a wide-ranging discussion of issues that have been impactful over this past challenging year for all of us, but especially in the life of this thoughtful athlete from Southern California who grew up idolizing Kobe Bryant. Enjoy the conversation, and thanks for listening. Welcome to this edition of The Front Row and our very special guest today, St. Louis Cardinals uh, right-handed pitcher, Jack Flaherty. Uh, Jack, welcome to The Front Row.
1: Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So, Jack, were you a Front Row guy as a student? You know, I named it uh, the podcast because I always encourage my students to sit in the Front Row, that they can <laughs> get, get, enhance the learning experience, sends a good message to the teacher, professor. Um, what was your game plan as a student?
1: um you know that's a good question i was never the front I, I i personally as a student was never really sitting in the front row if i can if i can really think about it it, it depended on the class um i kind of went back and forth i know since then um as we as i've gotten into you know playing uh, professionally whenever we have meetings or something i'm usually sitting in the in the very front um, Maybe not the very first row because I feel a little uncomfortable, like that very, very front, like where there's no barrier between you and whoever's speaking, or if, you're, right. if we're having a meeting. But all in all, I, I'm right there in the in the first two rows um, now. But as a student, I, I would say it kind of depended on the class. But for the most part, honestly, I, I don't think I really sat in the very front, mostly because mostly it always it always had to do with height and. Yeah them complaining like hey we can't see over your head so (laughs) it kind of came kind of came down to that
0: right yeah I I I think of that because I've had students occasionally really good size Zach Banner um, yeah the uh, the offensive tackle and and uh who's who who walked down the aisle and sit in the front row and I always wondered boy if you were sitting behind him that 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 would be a challenge Um, yeah
1: uh (laughs) yeah it's gonna be tough to see over that
0: but you know who told me about, about sitting in the front row, and I was so surprised. You know, Bill Walton, even though he's listed as six eleven, he's at least 7'2". two. He'll never admit that, but, it's, but he absolutely is. He just <laughs> did, he just he didn't like to be known as he called it, as a as a footer, you know, as a footer, a seven footer, for whatever reason. So he's always listed six eleven, and he told me that that he sat, he, he switched his his thinking about it, and when he got to UCLA, he, he went and sat in the front row of his classes, and I thought, man. Seven foot, I could, I would understand if you'd want to sit in the back
1: row for that. 100%. Yeah, everybody's going to be looking over your head.
0: Right. Um, so, about school, Jack, you went to, you know, certainly as good a baseball school as there is in Southern California and an elite private school, an um, academic powerhouse as well in Harvard Westlake and North Hollywood Studio City. Um, what, when you, when you envisioned your future, uh, you, you know, you signed with North Carolina um, mm-hmm. before your senior in high school, what, what did you see the college pathway as your, as your pathway? And when did it hit you that, um, Hey, that, that may not, that may not be the best option for me. I and mean, because be, at, at your school, it, it's so, uh, there's so much talk about, and I, and I help out in a private high school, uh, myself, Chadwick up in Palos Verdes. And there's so much talk about going to you know, the really good colleges and, You were in the Mm -hmm. position of getting a scholarship to a really good school um, in North Carolina. I think your final four were North Carolina, Vanderbilt, UCLA, and USC, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, So what was it that, as you saw your future, um, was college going to be a part of it?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Everybody kind of assumes that I just knew that I, that I knew exactly what, like that I already knew before the draft and before everything that I was never going to school and people just assume that. And, and that's fair. That's you know, you can assume that all you want, but truthfully, I was so set on going to school. I was going to North Carolina. We had our, I was supposed to go to summer school there. So we had our flights booked to take me there about two weeks after I graduated from high school and then I was supposed to go there and had all my summer school classes picked out um, all the way up until draft day and all the way up until I was drafted and really all the way up until like probably two days after everything was booked until we were like, oh, no, like this isn't going to happen. So I was very set and very happy with with going to college, going to North Carolina for three years and then hopefully getting drafted after that and whatever you know, whatever was gonna come my way, but I was very mm-hmm. set on going to North Carolina. Like I was going, I was gonna go there for three years and and was very happy about it. I was I was in no way like, you know, oh, I hope I get drafted so that I don't have to go to school or any of or anything like that. So I, I was I was set on going to school and it just happened that when the draft happened, it just presented me with the right opportunity. And that's what it was going to take for me to not go to school was the right opportunity. And uh, that's just the way that it felt.
0: Yeah. Had, had you decided on, on sort of your academic pathway, anything that you were most interested in pursuing? Um,
1: if, I, I'd have to think about it, but I know that, that North Carolina provided the option to combine different, different majors that involve sports. And I, I know I wanted to get, have, I always wanted to be involved in sports in some way. Um, and whether that was going to be to get into physical therapy or, or it was going to be sports and business marketing. Um, it, it was something on that. And it, it was a lot, they allowed the option to, to combine different, to combine different majors and in, in, in different types of ways. So right. uh, I, I know that it was, it was going to be something along those lines.
0: I, I was always curious about your choice in North Carolina and without knowing anything else, I thought, well, maybe, Having played for USA Baseball, which is headquartered in Cary, North Carolina, may- maybe you got a chance to see North Carolina earlier in your life. What, what was it that drew you there?
1: Well, I remember So my, soft- my sophomore year, we went to North Carolina to play in a tournament. And this is when we had Max Fried and Lucas Giulito on the team. So yeah. <clears throat> I was originally scheduled to, after that tournament was over, my mom, my brother, and I were flying from Carolina to, to Nashville to go look at Vanderbilt. And when we were there at that tournament, we had a, uh, we had a practice at North, at North Carolina. And I remember walking on to, we walked onto the field. We got a tour of, like, all their facilities and everything. But the second I walked onto the field, I was like, dang, it would be cool to play here. Like, this, would be, this would be cool to, to go to school here. And I had been to USC – been to UCLA, you know, growing up in Southern California, so I've seen their places a lot. But the second I walked on there, I was like, "Man, this is just a different feeling." This is, it was completely different. It was, it was like it just had that feeling of it'd be cool to play here. So um, that tournament gets over, uh, the team's getting ready to, to head back. We're going. My mom and I are getting ready to head to Nashville, and um, uh, my my head coach she comes up to my mom and I, and it's like, "Hey, so." North Carolina wants you guys to come back for a visit uh, tonight before you guys head back to Nashville tomorrow, and we were like, um, sure, like all right. So I guess I don't know either. I made an Im- impression during that uh, during that practice, or uh, or it was during uh, during that tournament we had. So it was one of those things. We went back there, we checked out everything. I- I had a great meeting with the coach. Um, it-, it just went really well, and I, you know, I was lucky that they came back that summer pre- presented me a scholarship offer I played I had gone back to carry gone back to carry north carolina to play in uh, the tournament of stars for team usa uh, that summer and you could tell whenever i would go to north carolina and come back to la it was just a slower pace right when things slowed down it was a slower pace and i kind of enjoyed that for the time for like the little bit of time i was there and then to come back to la and things kind of speed up and it was nice to get a little bit of a change of pace in there. So, um, I just enjoyed a lot of things about the the city and or the place, and then also things about the the college, of course.
0: Were the the other coaches, the college coaches, recruiting you? Surprised when you? Uh, I when think from Southern decision?
1: California. I think the ones. I right. think SC and UCLA. Um, you know, you don't see guys leave Southern California too often. Um, so for right. me, I, I but I had no issues leaving southern california like i was i was okay with it it was just going to be it was going to be yeah. whether or not my mom be okay with it
0: right right and you know and 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 funny thing you end up in in a in a playing professionally in a town that has that slower pace and it's, it's yeah you know it's like a college town basically it's you, it's kind of funny that you you ended up at in a place like that What what what's What's it been like getting used to playing in St. Louis as much as we hear about the Cardinal fans and what a great baseball town it is. I don't think it's taken any getting
1: used to, to be honest. I mean, you know, obviously the fans, they have high expectations for the team. They have high expectations for their players. So, you know, but when your expectations for yourself are, are just as high and if not higher, it doesn't really take a whole lot of getting used to. It's just, um, it's just a matter of getting used to maybe if anything, getting used to the weather a little bit when you get there in the summertime and and playing in the cold, you know, um, those, those little things that you have to get used to, you know, the grip on the ball is, just the, you know, the heat's just a little bit different there when you add in the humidity. So yeah, um, I'd say little things like that, but yeah, St. Louis is a, it's a, it's a small town, um, but it's great. You know, it's full of, it's full of great fans. We, we, we you know, they always come out and support. So it's, it makes it easy to to, to show up for games and, and be ready to go when you've got a, when you've got a packed house every, every night.
0: I'm sure. Do, do you feel it around the city? I don't know how, how often you're in the city when you're not at the ballpark, but do you, do, do you feel it when you're, you know, when you go out to grab something to eat or, you know, Starbucks or, you know, things like that. <laughs>
1: yeah you, you kind of feel it when you go out to eat and you you just notice uh everybody kind of know everybody knows you know they 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 keep track of their players and you know yeah. in baseball you have so many guys going up and down so they all know they all know who's gone up who's gone down you know who's this prospect we're calling up or maybe in other cities and i i don't know this for sure but maybe in other cities you might be like well who's this guy we're calling up or you know what happened here or or this or this or that so they know they know yeah. everything, they know every yeah. time that something goes on, they know every transaction that's made, they know every new prospect that's coming up. Um, and, and you see it, and it's it's there,
0: right? Yeah, um, so going back again to, to signing, you know, I saw that uh, the report was you signing bonus was about two million dollars. And I, and of course, I taught in talking to college coaches today, recruiting players, it's college baseball is so unique in trying to recruit players, the better players you recruit probably the greater chance there is that they may not get to college. Did you set a number
1: <laughs> in
0: advance and, and, and tell the, you know, the teams that this is what it's going to take. Uh, so How'd you handle it? Yeah.
1: Um, so my mom is uh, she's worked in finance for universal studios for 25, 30 years. So mm-hmm. she's, she's good. She's always been good with
0: numbers. Uh-huh. And, uh, That's your mom, Eileen. Right. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, It it was one of those things, for her, it took a lot to just be on board with the idea of me signing professionally and leaving to go play at 18 years old. And Mm -hmm. she was like, I don't like it. You should go to college. Like, this is just, this is just, it was weird for her. Mm -hmm. It was weird for her to consider it was weird for her to consider like me choosing a high school or me choosing a college before I was even in my senior year. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So these were just things that, that, you know, we didn't, we never paid attention to any of this stuff when we were growing up, it was just playing. We didn't pay attention to guys in high school committing to a college. Like it just wasn't anything we ever paid attention to. Mm -hmm. So, for us, it took a little bit of uh, an adjustment and a little bit of something that we had to come around to. So for that, she valued. It, it became. It came down to what do we value a college education at? What
0: mm-hmm. do we What
1: do we see that kind of being worth? And then also, you know, we you have to take into consideration like. Well, okay, whatever I sign for we're in California. How much am I actually going to get of that? Mm -hmm. You know, how much money am I actually going to get? You see guys signed for $700,000 or, you know, a million, this or that. And well, that's, that's great. That's a lot of money. But out of that, out of that 1 million, when you end up getting, you know, maybe 600,000 of it, you, you, you then kind of really realize how much money of that, that you lost and you're not really getting that. So if you valued it, you know if you valued your your college education at you know you see what what um, tuition tuition, and everything is so high. So whatever somehow we we came up, we, we, we thought it out and we did we did come up with a number of two million mm-hmm. and we were not going to and you know we just evaluated, okay, if I, if I go to college, whatnot, we see myself probably getting drafted higher. Like I felt like I was gonna get drafted higher after going to three years of college, getting sure. bigger and stronger. And so we're like, okay, it, there's no, for me, I was like, there's no downside with going to college. Like, I'm going to go, I'll probably get taken higher. I'll probably get more money and things are going to work out. I'll have a great, I'll receive three years of education at an unbelievable school. So we're like, okay. And we valued myself higher than potentially most teams did. We're like, you know, I saw the kids, I saw the guys that were being projected to be taken in front of me. I have played against all these guys in high school. Personally, I was like, I'm better than them so i was like okay if you want to take them but it came down to we did set the number at two million we set it at two because that was we were like you know we'll probably get about 1.2 maybe at the end of the day 1.4 and that was going to be enough to pass up going to school for Mm and so we set that number and we, we again because i was so happy with and so set on going to north carolina there was no hesitation. You know, if somebody, if my agent called and was like, well, would he take 1.5? It was just like, don't even call. Like mm-hmm. we're, unless it's two, we're not going to do it. And even if it came down to, you wanted to do like a 1.9, like we would have said no. And that mm-hmm. was just, it was a hard set number and it made the, it made the decision very, very easy.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think in the end, it makes more sense to handle it that way because it's very clear cut. It makes it it, very clear cut. You don't have to think about things.
1: It just made it very, very easy. There was no stress on my end of like, oh, is this enough? Like this or that? And I'm, you know, I'm I'm 18 years old when when we're doing this, so it made a very clear cut and an easy decision.
0: So, so when you're picked with the 34th pick, did you assume that being picked by the Cardinals uh, meant that they were going to give you? it's hard to imagine, although it happens occasionally, um, where a player is drafted high in the first round, doesn't sign. Happened to Garrett Cole, happened to Matt yeah. McLean, junior year UCLA coming up, um, passed up a first round uh, draft out of high school. But mm-hmm. did, did did you assume that when they drafted you, they were ready to to, um, to to pay the two million? And did was that indicated from the very beginning, or did you get the sense? they wanted still to negotiate. Uh,
1: I, you know, I wasn't really involved in that, in that process for us. It was, if we don't get the 2 million, then like, so be it. But when, when I was drafted, we, you know, that night, I think we just assumed like, okay, yeah, they're going to give the two mm-hmm. and that'll be that. Like there's no worrying about it. There's no questioning it. It's just, we're going to get the two and move on from there. So if they weren't going to come with the two, then I was going to go to North Carolina. And it was Mm -hmm. pretty just clear cut. Um, and very simple for me. There was no stress or anything on it. So it, it, for me, it just, it made the decision very easy.
0: Mm -hmm. And did it take long? Did you guys,
1: uh, I was, I was out, I was out in, in St. Louis within about 14 days. Yeah. Graduated high school. And I think within about 14 days, I was in St. Louis signing that signing, uh, that contract
0: so uh, you also had experience being at Harvard Westlake as I mentioned earlier playing at such a high level and, and coaching and teaching that you're receiving at such a high level and you had the unbelievable experience of having two future major leaguers major league starting pitchers on your staff with Lucas Giolito and Max Fried that you mentioned um, when you're a sophomore and you're seeing these guys as seniors and Max transfers in Uh, for his senior year. Uh, Did, did that really help prepare you? And, you know, just for the, the, you know, pitching, everything you had to do physically on the mound, you know, but also for, um, again, you know, just on this way to playing professional baseball, you kind of had seen it in front of you. What was, what was that experience like kind of makes you grow up pretty quickly when you're surrounded by you know, elite
1: talent like that in high school. Yeah. I think it was one of those, we, like I said, we didn't, my, my family, my, we didn't pay attention to anything that was going on in high school sports. So when I showed up Targwisik as a freshman and there's this dude, Lucas Gilito, I don't know who he was or we like, Oh, he's a, you know, he's a good pitcher and whatnot. And then you find out, you know, he's committed to UCLA. And then the next year you find out, Oh, he has the potential to go first overall in the, MLB draft and then we get this guy Max Freed transfer over who has the potential to go top 10 ends up going seven and you're like oh okay this is interesting and then you start seeing scouts show up and you kind of wonder what it, what are all these people doing here and like and then you find out oh there's scouts they're MLB scouts here watching these guys and then you come to realize well they're watching you too because while they're there watching them they're there seeing if anybody else kind of stands out at the same time so it was kind of a, you know, you always got to come, come ready to play and come with it. So under, under those things, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it made it fun. You, you, I mean, you just went out and competed and you re- didn't really have to watch that. And, you know, you kind of got a taste of the process, but not really. I didn't really understand, um, you know, all the meetings and everything that would go on my senior year. I didn't really know about that. I'd say those guys became a lot of help once I got drafted. And Mm -hmm. just ask them, you know, what does it look like? What do I need to do? What goes on, you know, as I go through rookie ball and A ball? And, you know, what does the offseason look like in terms of training and getting ready for the season and the throwing program and then um, getting set, getting ready for spring training and what does spring training look like? And all of those things, all of those crazy questions that you got to figure out that you would have no real way of knowing – unless I had those guys in my corner. And so they, they were a lot of help. They were incredibly helpful. It was really nice to, to have them, um, to really just be able to reach out and contact them and talk to them at any point to, to figure these things out.
0: What's funny is that you, you, you should have been very used by the time you are a senior to playing in front of scouts. Because if they were there yeah. for, for, for Max and Lucas when you were a sophomore, that means they were there basically every game you played for those three years.
1: Yeah. It just became a part of the process. I mean, it was just like, you know, they're, they're there. You're not really playing for them. You know, obviously you want to go out and perform well, but you're not playing for them. You're not like, I was never worried about, Oh, who's there. Um, anything like that. I wasn't worried about what what scout was there. What scout do we have? My mom never talked to them. They, she made sure that they left her alone at, at games. So that was never really our focus. We, uh, but yeah, I guess I guess it became as normal as it possibly could be.
0: Yeah are are, are you um, are you close? Are you in touch with both Lucas and Max regularly oh, now? All the time. You talk yeah, a lot about yeah. You, know, you yeah, talk Lucas, shop. And,
1: mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Lucas is coming into town this very soon. But we always get together when, when all three of us are in Los Angeles and, and get whether it's dinner or whatnot. Obviously, times are a little bit different right now, but we're always in touch. We always talk during the season talk shop if we see something going on with uh you know with somebody's stuff or or whatnot but we're always in touch
0: yeah and, and, and you reference your mom and as somebody who was raised by a single mom who was an educator an elementary school principal um so was working and a grandmother that was always around you know i kind of um uh, you know i know what it's like to be in the household with a, a strong sports-minded mom what 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 can you what can you tell us about your mom's influence in your life
1: um it's it's hard to put into words you know everybody wants to talk about you know how hard i work or or my mentality or you know the way i go about my business the diligent process the routine this and that and that comes from her doesn't it comes from other people as well, but it mostly comes from her, you know, use, you know, grow up seeing her process the way that she would, you know, she's always up. You know, when when my brother and I were growing up, you know, she was up before us, she'd make breakfast. And so we would always have breakfast ready. She'd make breakfast for us. um, And then, you know, she'd get everything ready for school. We'd be ready to go to school and then she'd go to work all day. She'd, somehow come pick us up take us to practice Mm -hmm. and then by the time and then we'd come home and she'd be working again you know she'd make dinner and then she'd be working all night and then she'd keep going about it so she never stopped working she never stopped with her process and the way she went about things and then you know when it comes to a, a mental standpoint well you know first of all she was just She was very easy to to look up to as a role model, the way she went about her business, the way she treated people. You know, how hard she worked and the way that she went about things. So it made it really easy to to look up to her and and idolize her for those things and look up to her as a role model. So she made those things very easy on me.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned about how she treated people. I I say the exact same thing about my mom, you know, as a, a principal of a school. So you see how she treats Everybody, you know the 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 janitorial staff and the support people, and you know it's funny because it it didn't it it never feels like you know what I'd say is maybe that generation um, or you know your parents and in many cases um, they don't you know they don't promote that or advertise that, but it can't help but have a really profound impact on you when you watch how somebody in a leadership position and just how they carry themselves and how they treat other people.
1: Yeah. It really just shows you, you know, the way, the way people should be treated and the way that, you know, you should go about your business, which is, which is how my mom handled everything. The sacrifices that she would make on her own time for my brother and I uh, just really led to the way I handle things now. I mean, I just don't think she ever looked at them as sacrifices. That was just the way that she went about it. She was like, okay, I'm going to do everything I can for, um, for myself and, and great and my brother, and she would just do anything she possibly can. And so now when I have the ability to go about and go about my business and do everything I possibly can to be ready for the season and be ready for each and every start, I don't look at things as making sacrifices. Somebody else may look at it as, Oh, you're giving up this or that. I'd be like, no, 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 no. This is my job. Those things are, are added on. And I'm not, I would be giving up time that I could possibly have to get ready for, you know, this season or this start by doing those things. Like I'd be mm-hmm. giving up, like I'd be sacrificing time to get better. Yeah. And it, it's, it's kind of the, it's, it's kind of the other way of thinking and I just felt like my mom went about her business that way. Now, so well, she, go ahead, go ahead, Jack. No, 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 You're, you're good. I was probably just going to ramble on. No, know, no. I, I
0: was, I was curious because growing up without a father in the household, my mom became, I think she was a, I think she was a natural sports fan, but I think she made more of an effort to become one to kind of fill that role. And although I never could tell, I mean, she was as passionate about sports as you could ever imagine a person being. Uh, I'm curious about your mom. Was she somebody who was a, you know, natural sports fan or was, did that become more of an acquired taste for her as you started to develop?
1: No, she was a sports fan. She's the one who got me into baseball. She, Her brothers grew up playing sports. So she has two mm-hmm. older brothers. I think they're older. I might need to check myself on that one. But she has mm-hmm. two brothers who, all, who both played sports. And they played baseball, football. They kind of did it all. And um, so she was always into sports. I think baseball was her favorite. And even now, um, you know, she loved. She loved basketball as well. Um, she loved old school basketball. She'll even say today, if you ask her, she's like, she can't watch the, the. she doesn't watch the NBA now. She'll watch college <laughs> shows, but uh-huh. she doesn't watch the NBA now because she doesn't think it's, it's just different for her. Yeah. So she's like, I'm not watching it. But mm-hmm. she's the one she would always take me to Dodger games when I was younger. Um, she took me to my first one when I was really young and that's that's how it started so she was the she was the driving force behind uh the sports love
0: yeah and she did she have a uh favorite team was the la teams Did she grow up in southern california
1: she did not grow up in southern california she grew up in montana moved mm. to moved to southern california when she was uh i don't shoot it was young she she yeah. did it right out of, right after she graduated college she moved to southern california yeah so she so she would take me to dodger games um when I was really young one of her one of her bosses had tickets and um so she'd be given tickets and she'd take me to dodger games when we when I was young and then when it came to basketball uh, I know that she would oh I know that she would um she rooted for. She rooted for, for John Stockton um, because mm-hmm. he went to Gonzaga and that's where my mom went to school. So she ah. would root for him in, in the, in the nineties. Um, and then she just liked basketball. She'd watch it every so often. I don't think she ever really rooted for a team, but yeah, she's, she, she's uh, be... it, Yeah, she was always into sports and baseball was definitely the, the first and foremost.
0: She's got to be loving college basketball this season with,
1: with oh yeah. yeah. She was ups- yeah 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 yeah. She was upset when you know they weren't able to continue this past year and then um, you know this year she's hoping. She you know she's more upset that she's not necessarily going to be able to go and and watch it because she always they her and her college friends always go every year when they get the chance whether it's to the West Coast Conference tournament in Vegas or if it ends up being, you know, the NCAA tournament. They like to go.
0: So that must've been fun a few years ago. I was at the Final Four. I I go to the Final Four most every year. Uh, Was in the college basketball business at one time running an event where Gonzaga was one of my teams that played three different times in the event um, up in the Bay Area. So got to know Mark Few when he was starting his career uh, as the head coach at at Gonzaga, had an um, unbelievable run. So a few years ago at the Final Four, there in Glendale, Arizona, it's Gonzaga against North Carolina. What, what, what was that? What was that rooting experience like for the
1: Flaherty family? Oh, I never root for Gonzaga, no matter what. <laughs> no, I, I've, I never have, never will root for them. I pick against them whenever we do a bracket. My best friend and I always pick against them, and my mom is always upset because we never <laughs> pick them. And so she was hoping and hoping and hoping that, that Gonzaga would win that so she could rub it in our face Of course. and, and obviously going against North Carolina. So uh, it was a stressful game. I, you know, I got on the phone right after and uh, rubbed it in her face when North Carolina won. So yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it was, it was, it was nice bragging rights for me and I still yeah, have so those, you, no matter, no matter what goes on right now.
0: So the Gonzaga thing, the, the anti Gonzaga thing is more uh, just to have fun with the rivalry.
1: Oh, mom. of course. Absolutely. I, and my brother goes to school there now. So it's even more, it even, it exists even more where I just root against them. Yeah. But especially rooted as is definitely rooting for North Carolina. Um, almost pretty much every year. Like I was going to, yeah. I was going to school there. Um, so, yeah,
0: that was an interesting game because Gonzaga started out fast. If you remember, they, they jumped yes. out to an early lead. It, it looked yes. like, wow, this might finally yeah. be the year.
1: It was going to be the year they were going to boat race. them. And then, uh, you know, better team ended up winning.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, speaking of, of basketball and you're 6'4". Now, maybe maybe the answer is you've already kind of gotten to it a little bit with saying how, you know, what a favorite sport that baseball was for your mom. But, you know, and you being a big basketball fan, how how did you kind of get directed toward baseball as the sport that you were going to be most serious about? As you moved along as an athlete?
1: Honestly, um, it was something I never really realized. But the people in my, the people that I look up to for advice, they knew. They knew from the get go. They knew like basketball was, and I loved basketball. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. I could have seen myself, you know, continuing to play and go on. And, you know, I hoped on playing three sports when I was in high school, and it just didn't work out that way. Uh-huh. I, I had hoped on my mom would not let me play uh, tackle football until I got to, to high school. And I had hoped on, on going into high school, playing football, playing basketball, playing baseball. Cause that's just what I did. Uh-huh. Like I, like, I, you know, I, I played, you know, whatever it was flag football, but I still, I played three, four sports every year, my
0: entire life. Were you good in basketball? I mean, did you, know uh, you when played? I was, when
1: I was younger and then I, I had a, I had an injury and I had to take like a year off, and, um, I, I never, I had to put in a lot of time and effort into baseball to kind of get back to where I wanted to be. And I never really put that time into basketball. And I, and I, after that point, it just wasn't, it wasn't quite the same for me. So my, my story with basketball is, the, is this, is that I, I grew up playing with the same group of guys. Um, we all just happened to end up on, on the same like little, travel team and we would play in different leagues and whatnot and we would travel and this and that. But I was always missing basketball for baseball. Mm -hmm. I would never miss baseball for basketball. I would always miss basketball for baseball. And I would go there and whether that was a lesson or a practice or a game, a tournament, there was always if it came down to baseball or basketball, I was always choosing baseball. Mm-hmm. And that's what one of my my mentor who was who happened to be the basketball coach, he's like, I always knew you were gonna pick baseball. He's like, you just did basketball for fun. He was like certain guys on our team, they it was, you know, they they sleep, eat and dream about basketball. You did that about baseball. Like basketball was was a hobby. You enjoyed it. It, it was fun. You were good at it. But at the end of the day you would it went out no matter what it was, you were choosing uh, baseball over basketball. And so when it came down to it in high school, um, I didn't play football. I was playing basketball and baseball, but I was doing both at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't like give up. And, and the way that our high school program was, the, the they overlapped. Basketball and baseball overlapped. So while the basketball season was going on, baseball, you know, was you're getting ready for the season. You're getting ready for things to go on. So they yeah. overlapped. So I was going from, I would be, I'd be like skipping basketball practice to go to baseball practice and then would just show up for the games and like yeah. would not really know a whole lot. would just kind of run around and figure things out. And the other, and, and it just wasn't the same. And, and my baseball coach, he was like, you need to stop playing baseball and go play basketball. Otherwise, you're going to get hurt. Like you're going crazy number of hours right now. Like you're going to get hurt if you continue to go down this path. Mm-hmm. And I was I was confused. I was like, no, I was like, I'm not really going to I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stop playing baseball and then have to like like I've done that before. I've done that point where I've given up like three, four months and I've tried to get back in baseball shape. And it just it just takes a minute to get the timing and everything down. So he said that and I think I did it for about a week and I just wasn't loving basketball the same way I used to anymore. Yeah. And it kind of just happened for me. Everybody thinks that he told me to give up basketball. No, he never said that. He told, he encouraged me to go play. And I made the decision of like, you know what, I'm good giving up basketball. I just want to play baseball. And that's just what it became. And it became a a year round thing.
0: Well, and I know you played other positions. You played third base on the varsity at Harvard Westlake. But you have you have you sort you sort of have the textbook size for a dominant pitcher. Uh, I'm just wondering, be, you're a really focused person um, with that work ethic. I'm just wondering if pitching was a natural to you. I mean, obviously, you have to have a strong arm, but um, but just something about having the ball in your hand and on the mound it, it, was that the natural fit for you? As I think it might be.
1: No, I mean, it, I mean, it just. You start pitching it when you're young because of one of two reasons. Either you throw hard or because you can throw the ball over the plate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the way that, that it started for me was I I happened to be able to do both when I was young. I threw hard and I could throw the ball over the plate when it when it when it might be tough for, for young kids to be able to do that. But I was able to do that. So uh, and then when I, you know, got up into high school, I I came up, I came into high school as a shortstop. Um, we had a returning senior who was playing short at the time and I was pitching a little bit. I didn't throw very hard. I was kind of more out of uh, emergency when I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. So I came up and, you know, he put me in, he put me in center field just to, to get me in the lineup. And then I, you know, I pitched every so often. And then that next year, uh, you know, we added Max came over. So it was, it was max and lucas and i was kind of the third guy again just because i could throw strikes i didn't throw very hard i was maybe i would maybe touch 86 which i you know in high school was is is still hard but it it, i was like 82 84 but i could throw the ball where i wanted to and it was really just getting up there and trying to be athletic and, and and be an athlete so it was never you know too highly focused on well what is my what are my mechanics and and what do I do is just I could throw the ball kind of where I wanted to and then I started somehow just started throwing harder and harder and it all just kind of developed that way it was it was just one of those things that I I was naturally able to to throw the ball where I wanted to and then as I got older just kind of started throwing harder
0: and and then yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah and then they yeah developed other pitches and just kind of had good feel for things.
0: Um, you know, it's coming up. You know, we're, we're at about the one year mark of um, of Kobe Bryant's passing, and and I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to bring it up because I know how significant uh, of an influence he has been in your life. And you know, we talk about sports in LA, and you can't help but think about Kobe and his legacy. You you wrote a really moving piece. Last September, in the Players Tribune, um, about what a difficult, surreal year had been for so many people um, on on so many levels. Uh, just at that point in September, uh, and how it made you think about Kobe and his legacy. What what was it? What was it that made you connect just so profoundly with Kobe Bryant?
1: Um, well, Kobe was L.A. Uh, you know, no matter what anybody says, he was definitely he was Los Angeles when I was growing up. Yeah. Um. That's just who he was. I mean, he built the Staples Center. Mm-hmm. You know, Magic had the Forum, but but Kobe had Staples Center, and he was Los Angeles, no matter what you did. And you know, growing up as a basketball player, I you know I never was Kobe with how with how I played the game. It just wasn't it. Um, but he was so incredibly fun to watch. He was, and then you hear the stories about his work ethic and you hear the stories about, um, you know, Mamba mentality or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the way that he went about his business, the way that, you know, after those four air balls, you know, he goes into the, he finds the high school gym and, you know, finds his way in there and is able to, you know, get shots up all night. And then you just – you hear about the work yeah. ethic. You hear about this and that. And it was just like a driving force. You, you saw how dynamic and and great that he was on the court. And as I've grown up, it's just been like, well, none of that happened without any of the work before that. You know, right. none, of that ha- none of that was able to happen unless he put in the work on – like outside of that. It wasn't all just about game time. It wasn't just mm-hmm. show up and, you know – I do this in my sleep. Well, yeah, he does it in his sleep because he's worked on it over and over and over again, repetition, repetition, repetition. And then you start listening to, you know, his interviews. I I try to listen to as many interviews of his as I can and the way that he talks and the way that he goes about his business. And, you know, he talks about his confidence and, and where that comes from and the way that he prepared. And he was, he was, he was crazy. In like mm-hmm. a good way, yeah, right. He was, he was, he was, he was crazy, but he's crazy dedicated to what he needed to get done, and all those things just kind of hit with me. And it was one, it just he he became a really easy person to to kind of idolize mm-hmm. and and take certain parts of the way he went about his business and try to include
0: them. Right, right. Did Did you have a favorite Mamba moment uh, growing up? Um... Starting with did you have a of a favorite Kobe number between eight
1: and twenty-four? Eight. Definitely. I I liked eight. Um but also twenty-four. I mean, there's 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 two different ways. I mean, when he was when he was eight, he was the better athlete. He was, you know, he put up these ridiculous numbers. Um I think he gets a bad rap for you know people wanting to claim that he was a selfish player. Um, which I I just don't think if you truly look at the numbers is is in any way, and I don't think it shows in any way that Mm -hmm. he was a selfish basketball player. Um, But but, then when he was 24, you know, he had that, he had those years on him where he was now mentally in a different realm than everybody else. Right. He was just, he would be in a different world mentally. He wasn't as athletic, wasn't as quick, wasn't as, Mm able to do certain things, but mentally was just in a different world. And he would dig deep and he would dig deep and you could really see that Mamba side kind of come out. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my earliest memories of him was, is, um, you know, you have the the 2000 finals against the Pacers when Shaq goes out and he took over that game. Right. Uh, in a very important, I believe it was game four. Four. Game four. Uh huh. Yeah. Where, they, where, the, where Indiana could have tied up the series.
0: Uh-huh. Everybody
1: was acting like it was a blowout. Like they just blew out Indiana. Like Indiana was trash. Like they didn't have Reggie or anybody else. That was like,
0: a really good Indiana team. Jeez. They could,
1: they would have very easily tied it at, at two.
0: Right. But,
1: and Chat goes out. And this dude comes out. I, whatever. I think he was 20, 20 year old kid off a sprained ankle. Dig, somehow digs deep finds a way because he missed pretty much previous game and digs deep, finds a way, just ignores the injury Mm -hmm. and finds a way to put, you know, the task at hand is more important. So, um, and then another another one, one of my favorites uh, and earliest is going to 04. In in Portland, last game of the regular season, he hits the the buzzer. He hits the, the shot at the end of the fourth quarter to tie the game. Right, one of the more ridiculous shots he's ever taken. <laughs> one of those, I'm not passing the ball. I'm going to shoot this moments, and then at the very end, the, the it's the with one second left, hits the, the game winner over, I believe Theo Ratliff, and uh, they they run off the court and everybody's out of there. But I mean, there's so there's so many, um, yeah, it, it just it, yeah he's a uh, he's a he's a, he's special
0: even even just you know putting up the numbers he did in his last game at that point in his career i it, mine i was teaching that night and I, I remember thinking if he could get to double figures and they would and they could win what a yeah. nice what a nice way that would be to finish up his career not that he needed anything particular yeah but just the idea of you know if you could get double figures and you know give us a you know, make a few shots and 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 as the, my class is ending, and someone said, you know, Kobe's got like you know thirty points or something at that point. What? Yeah. I mean, the idea of being able to get to sixty. I mean, it, that crazy. What, what a capper to yeah. Um, to this unbelievable run. Um, do, do you find yourself, Jack, channeling, you know, kind of your you know inner Mamba at any point, like you might be on the mound or you might be in a difficult situation on the field. Where or you draw from him?
1: Um, I think it's, it's just the way you, you view things. You know, whenever you hit mm-hmm. adversity, whenever things don't go according to plan, um, some people kind of panic. Some people might... Uh, you might freak out a little bit or you might not really know how to handle things. And mm-hmm. it it always seems like it didn't really matter. He was able to dig deep and, and figure something out. And, you know, sometimes that's, you know, in baseball, that's a guy making an error on a routine play. And you're like, okay, I, there's a, it's, it's really easy to get frustrated and get upset and have that affect your next couple pitches. And next thing you know, like, now you're in a really bad spot because you've been affected by that, you know, little mistake that, that happens, you know. Pretty uh-huh. human. Guys are gonna make errors. They're gonna make mistakes. I'm gonna make bad pitches, uh-huh. and you move on. And sometimes you find yourself with, you know, second and third and and one out, and you got to dig deep and find a way to make pitches and continue to grind and grind and grind away. Um, a lot of that comes in the off season. You know, when there's certain days you don't want to get up in the morning. You don't want to get up to that early morning workout. You don't want to get up and have to, you know, go run two a days and you're exhausted. Body's hurting, but you got it. You got to go get it done and you, and you wow. dig deep and you dig deep and figuring out ways to to get things done and figure it out. So it's always there. It's mm-hmm. there when you when you get into that mode and you get into that zone during the season and um, you just find it. You find it. Yeah. You find ways to dig deep. You find ways to. Um, to do what you do to, to get things done and yeah. um some of that is you know you think about like you know what would kobe do in certain situations whether you know am am i gonna skip this rep am i gonna skip this uh these last couple sprints am i mentally gonna skip these last couple sprints i may do them physically mm-hmm. but mentally i may be looking towards like okay i can't wait to be done and
0: mm-hmm. maybe
1: those last couple reps aren't aren't as hard as they, as you could have made them, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. you know, by it's the way,
1: not what, always. What a, go ahead. I'm sorry. Right, go ahead. No, it's, I mean, it's not always like, you know, physically you may be there doing something, but are, are you mentally completely present?
0: Right. And by, by the way, what a great legacy you talk about legacy and, and, it, and you, it's manifested in so many ways, but what a great legacy for someone to leave that, you know, here's this, here's this guy in a different sport. <laughs> You know, trying to trying to have success and get through a big game or big situation and for someone to have done something that causes you to think about him to help you get out of that situation. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you can have a legacy that means more in a sense. Talk about talk about positively impacting lives like you just gave a great example.
1: Yeah, without question. I mean, I just don't I think, you know, got people realize it. And that's kind of where the article came from this year was you, you you saw a lot of, you know, um you know, let's just forget 2020. Can we move on to 2021? And I just don't think that was the the way that it was like I don't people are dealing with adversity in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So just like trying to forget it and trying to ignore it and not look at it and look at it as another challenge which is the way I think Kobe looked at everything I've looked at it as oh, this is just another challenge for me this is another challenge for me and how am I going to go about you know attacking this and that's that's the way it is on the mound sometimes is okay here's another challenge for me here's another situation where we've got another challenge we've got another we're in this we're in this situation whether it's my own fault or whatever's happened and we got to find a way to get ourselves out of it and find a way to you know whether that's limiting to one run or or no runs or limiting damage and you got to find find out a way to figure it out so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's kind of what the year was like last year you know Mm -hmm. and 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 even so still still going on this year Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this isn't over and people have kind of been waiting for it well when's it going to be over so we can get back to doing this or doing that well how are you taking the time right now Right to to take on this challenge and take on this opportunity and how, you know, when I wrote it in September, how are you going to make October, November and December better than, you know, the previous five, six months that have gone on. Right. What are you going to do? How have you spent your time? Have you gotten better? Have you, have you accepted this challenge or have you kind of run from it and been like, Oh, I want to forget 2020. Mm -hmm. I just want to, I
0: just want things to go back to normal. Right. Because because when, when, 2020 ended, you know, six days into the new year, you had, you know, you had the, yep. the insurrection. what happened at the, at the Capitol. So it wasn't yep. as if Everybody, it was yeah. magically going to turn around and all of a sudden nope. being problem free.
1: Nope. nope. Uh, yep. And it's these, you know, it's New Year's resolutions that people love to make. They think people think that, you know, just because one year ends, it's like okay, great. Now we get to start over. And like, just because the year turns over, like, it, well, I mean, you could hit a reset button whenever you want, but you could also take on this challenge. Like coronavirus wasn't just going to go away because 2020 ended. Like once the year right. hit January, once it got to January 1st, it was like, oh, this is over. Oh, everything's going to be back to normal. Like, no, that's, that's just not how things work. So how have you taken the last, you know, five months? You know, how did you take, you know, as, as an athlete, how did you take that time off? during quarantine before the season you know to get better did you did you sit around at home and you know feel bad because you know you weren't you weren't playing because you're supposed to be playing at that point did you just sit around or did you take the time to get better whether that was physically or mentally and there's always time to find ways to get better which is how I just feel that's the way I think Kobe would have taken things right whether you're an athlete or whether you were working in business like you know, okay, you're not able to go into the office every day. And, you know, you're a parent, you've got your kids running around and you're trying to get work done. Well, are you going to – how are you going to handle that adversity? How are you going to handle that opportunity? Mm-hmm. How are you going to take that mentality and put it to what you do?
0: Yeah. Are, are, there, are there teammates you have, the Cardinals or other guys around the league, friends of yours, that have similar feelings about Kobe that you can really talk to about him uh, that are big basketball fans or just Kobe fans? um and you've really connected with sports yeah like uh, teammates uh of yours or anybody where you you know you can always like somebody who appreciates kobe to the level that you do that you're around um Um, on, on the team or around the league even.
1: not necessarily from a teammate level um And I'd have to think about around the league. I just know my closest friends all look at him and all look at Kobe and uh, really appreciate everything that he was about and look at him with the same love and respect and um, you know his idea, the, his ideas, and the way he went about his business the same way.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I don't, I don't necessarily know about around the league. I haven't really been able to get it in, get into those conversations with guys too much.
0: I'm curious, just, you know, when, when you, I think we're all going to, it's one of those occasions, we'll all remember where we were, but when, when you, when you got the news, which still a year later to me seems surreal, like when I think about how I found out, um, what was it like for you?
1: I uh, didn't, this did not feel real and still, still times, still at times now doesn't feel real. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my best friend was over at, my place and uh we were we had just went, well he came in woke me up with the news and i didn't think it was real I, I called the only person that i could think of that would know whether or not it was real mm-hmm. and uh i mean it hit right then and there i was like oh this is a real this really is happening because it was before news stations had picked it up but it had just been reported by tmz and whatnot so it's kind of right kind of wondered like well how there's no way this is real there's no way that TMZ is is reporting this right now and that this is really going to happen so um just shock complete shock sad so many different emotions so many different things going through my head I, I just didn't know what to do I didn't know what to do didn't feel real still doesn't Still, even to this day, it's just kind of like, no, he's here, but because yeah. you can feel his impact, you can feel those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Um, and and you and you were at that first game at Staples Center after after yeah. Kobe's death that yeah memorable night um, against against Portland and and you know heard LeBron and what what he said. What what was it like? What was it like being in the building that night with the with with a, a packed arena of almost twenty thousand people, that were I'm sure almost all feeling similarly as you felt. What was that shared experience like for you?
1: Oh man, you know, it was it was honestly by chance that I was that I was there um, because obviously they were supposed to have played. I think on Tuesday they were supposed to have played against right. the Clippers and, and right. they they canceled that game and then I just happened to have tickets to that game on Friday against Portland and um it was cra- it was just it was crazy to be there um and seeing everything outside of Staples Center really seeing his impact and seeing how many people he affected and how much people truly cared and how much he affected the city and everything going on, everybody that had brought down, you know, little Kobe pictures or memories and flowers and seeing all of that. And then getting into the arena. And it was one of those, I was like, okay. And it was with one of my best friends. I was like, we're going to be, we're going down there early. We're going to be in there. And I was, it's the earliest I've ever been for a Laker game, which was like, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half. Uh-huh. And being in there and, you know, they gave, they did the tribute and then hearing the, hearing the Kobe chants in the arena when the lights went down, hearing the MVP chants, it just was, it was surreal. I mean, it was emotional. It was a lot of people coming together, um, but it was, it was crazy emotional, you know, hearing Bron talk, uh, and just the fact that he was able to talk, I can't imagine how tough that was. And mm-hmm. seeing the tribute and, and going out and playing after that, it was. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how the NBA played on that Sunday when when I don't know how guys were able to play.
0: Yeah, see, I wonder that. I wonder that
1: too. Yeah, see the impact he had. I don't know how they were able to play on that day. That was yeah. uh, That was crazy. But being in the building was just full of emotion.
0: I mean, you you really, it was like you were able to attend his memorial service. In some ways, that was, that was almost what that was. That's uh, what it
1: felt like. That's truly what it felt like. It felt like everybody had come together and, you know, celebrated his life.
0: Yeah. And by the way, how about Damian Lillard that night, channeling his inner Kobe to the tune of 48 yeah. points and a victory? That was yeah. pretty impressive, too.
1: Ne- never doubt that, dude. That dude is, <laughs> that's a bad man right there. And... You know, he ain't the biggest guy on the court, but he, he was that night. He he really put it together and he was special.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, among many, many things you say about Kobe and his impact, I mean you just you started to see the the influence he was gonna have on the women's game. You know, and obviously yeah. with, with his daughter, with Gigi and what where, where she was maybe headed and uh, but just you could just tell he'd impacted so many so many, um, female athletes. And, um, I think, I think his influence in the women's game was not that it still can't be significant, but it would have been just, it would have been, uh, it would have been wonderful to have seen just how he could have affected, uh, women's basketball in the WNBA. And I, I know, I know you have uh, strong feelings about the league as well. Yeah, you're, you, you definitely
1: got to see a little bit of, uh, what Kobe was able to do in the WNBA um, and what he's able to do for women's or for just women's basketball going forward and what it was potentially going to turn into. Uh So, you know, you're just kind of hoping that these other athletes and other guys in the NBA can help in some way to, you know, help progress the WNBA going forward. Because, you you know, they all were impacted by Kobe in different ways. And you're just kind of hoping that, well, they will take um, what Kobe did and what Kobe wanted to do. And they will kind of, okay, let's help continue this impact that this man was going to have. Let's, mm-hmm. let's continue moving forward with this progression. Because we saw how so, – I mean – you got a taste of how special it potentially could be. Um, so that was, that's the hope of, you know, continuing to go forward and continuing to you know, make yeah. that impact that, that Kobe was, was, was really striving to make.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Jack, your middle name is Rafi. Uh, is there a story behind that?
1: Uh, um, no, there, there's no, there's no story behind it. The, the proper pronunciation is is it's Rafe, but uh got it, I think my mom my got it no it's all good no no worries about it everybody everybody wonders when they when they see it they wonder how do you pronounce it and uh yeah so it's it's definitely different i think my mom got it out of a book or something there might be a religious uh, meaning behind it i don't um i don't know the whole the whole story behind it if there is one
0: yeah yeah um well i i, I i'm wondering you, you were at home when um, in Los Angeles, when um, George Floyd was killed and, and people took to the streets and it, it became, became this, you know, real racial reckoning in our country. It was a very significant time really in history and um, Black Lives Matter, of course, became a powerful movement and, and you had strong feelings about that. Um, can you take me back to when you saw those images on the screen and what you were thinking, and and what kind of an impact did that really have?
1: Um, you know, it, it's hard to put into words, but when when that happened, you see the video of George Floyd, it just kind of struck a nerve. It, it hit a it hit a different type of nerve there, watching that thing, watching that happen, and um, you know, you could see the outrage from you could see the outrage from from people around the world and. And then you kind of see the sports world kind of stand up, and and guys like you know guys like Braun and and others throughout the throughout sports kind of take a stand, and then the WMBA, different players here and there taking stands and speaking out, and um, it was one of those things where I, I just tried, try to compile my thoughts and, and and put it into words because it was just it just hit different, and you know it started it started a wave where where people were able to come together and. Um, you know, at, at that point, it was, it, it was, it's always been something that has been talked about when you talk about, you know, systemic racism and uh, social injustice, and a lot of people choose to kind of ignore it because it's not right in front of them, and you know, they say, oh no, it doesn't exist, or you know, things like that don't happen. And then when you mm-hmm. see it on film, you you see that, you know, right in front of you on video. Uh, you don't have to be there to, and if you could find a way to look at that and be like, no, 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 he didn't do, you're just, at that point, it's just ignorance. It's just Mm -hmm. ignorance. It's ignorance to something like that. So it was, it was in front of everybody and it really forced everybody to, to pay attention to it and uh, really acknowledge it. And for me, it just, it just hit a nerve where it was one of those. I just tried to put my thoughts together and speak up and somehow that led to, you know, me being more vocal about it. People wanted to ask questions and wanted to have conversations about it.
0: Mm -hmm. Did did you have, did you find yourself having more conversations with your teammates? And what what did you find that did for when that subject came up? Did did you feel like it was something that brought you guys closer together? Or was it? it Yeah, definitely. It's not an easy thing to talk about. It's not an
1: easy thing to get everybody together. You got to have people there with open minds and willing to learn and willing to listen, willing to understand um you know I like I inadvertently studied the, these things when I was in high school and then I took a couple classes at at USC and also studied these just it just happened to to work out that way so what uh you know when we got to our you know at that point we, we I was home so then when we we finally went back to our you know what they want to call summer camp right before the season you know we had some we had a civil rights leader come in and, and talk to the team and and talk about things that went on and kind of why we were there. And the team, we, everybody was there, listen, you know, there was a couple conversations with, you know, with the manager um, and with, with the organization, between myself and a couple of the other guys about, you know, what we can do to show our support um, and what we can do to, you know, take action and not have it just be conversation. So little things like that happened. Um, had a couple of conversations that, you know, when well, I know one of our coaches pulled me aside and he just asked about, he, he, I I can't remember exactly what he asked about, but we, we had a nice long, like, you know, probably 30 minute conversation just going back and forth of of little things. And, and I was able to explain a few things to him, but again, it started with, you know, I had to, I had to understand what, what I was talking about. So I had to, I had to educate myself on certain things as well. So while I was home, I was able to do that, you know, through talking with people or, Watching different documentaries or reading up on it, and just, you know, educating myself, then re-educating myself on certain things.
0: Yeah, and I'm just wondering if, you know, was it was was race something that um, was sort of a part of the conversation much for you growing up? I know you identify as black, and and you know, was it was it uh, a difficult subject necessarily for you to sort of, you know. Wrap your arms around, or um, did you find that this time around things things sort of uh, seem yeah a bit, seem a little bit you clearer know, to you?
1: Yeah, you know it's only diff- difficult because you know a, a lot of times there's a lot of people, and even even once all this came out, and people a lot of people around the league and the sports world didn't know I was black, or didn't know I had any type of black in me. Mm-hmm. So, and that's been the same way as I was as I was growing up. You know, I, my mom's white, my brother's white. I'm of lighter skin tone, so people don't look at me and, and immediately think like, "Oh, he's black," or or nothing like that. And and that happened, you know, up through high school up into even a pro ball, and again, even you know, going into this past year, where mm-hmm. a lot of people just kind of get surprised. And so, um, you know, I've never felt like the person to. That's why when all this was going on, I never felt like the person to talk about this. And the only reason I felt comfortable with opening up was because so many people opened up with their thoughts about it. So many people opened up with, you know, whether it was, whether there was an article or um, somebody saying something, I know one of the ones that, that hit home was uh, Tasha Cloud. She put out an article in the Players' Tribune saying that, you know, your silence is a knee on my neck. And she put that out. And I don't know if I put out my statement like kind of before or after that, but I never felt like the person to talk about this because I, I have personally not dealt with, with any type of like getting looked at a certain way just because of my skin tone kind of have it the opposite where everybody's like, Oh no, you're white. You're white. You don't have to deal with any of that. And like on the inside. Yeah. But it also depends, you know, who I'm around people look at, you know, will look at me different if I'm around some of my guys who are, who are black, then it's kind of a, Oh, maybe he is. Or if I'm, you know, around like my family or whatnot, be like, oh no, he's just white. So it just kind of depends like mm-hmm. on how much I kind of get, whether I get looked at, more um, people kind of look sideways at me.
0: Did they feel, did people feel more comfortable about just maybe even bringing that up to you, whereas before they wouldn't, but now race was, it was so, it was a subject that was so out there, it was front and center for, for our country for so, so much of, of the, you know, really in the past year. You know, right. You know, there's dealing with COVID and then and then, you know, we're seeing the images on the screen and and all of a sudden we're in conversations. And I'm wondering if it now was maybe. You know, it was kind of easier, you know, you 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 could um, you could connect well, maybe with teammates, whereas before they wouldn't have brought up the subject and and getting your feelings out or finding out about your. You know,
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think that having these types of things come out and people having conversations makes it easier for people to ask questions. I think that, you know, sharing your opinions and sharing your life stories about incidences that have gone on or things that have happened make it easier for people to want to ask questions and want to understand. I think seeing the video of George Floyd and seeing everything and the cops being let off and you know seeing Breonna Taylor uh you know how that whole situation is unraveled and then seeing the Jacob Blake situation which went on like months after the George Floyd incident and was in the middle of the season where we basically the sports world shut down um with the Jacob Blake incident that and people seeing that and it just being front and center and at that point you have to you can't ignore it people could not ignore it people couldn't use sports as a way to ignore it people couldn't turn the sports game on and not hear it talked about which is why a lot of people got mad a Mm -hmm. lot of people got Mm -hmm. mad at the fact that sports is supposed to be a distraction i don't want to turn a sports game on and talk politics but like we're not talking politics like we're talking human rights here Mm -hmm. so that's the whole like misunderstanding that I don't know where people got that and took that into politics. Like we're talking human rights. We're talking like being treated equal and um, even of late, uh, you know, when you get the whole thing with the capital, and a lot of people put out a lot, one of the main like things I saw people say was, you know, it was from a bunch. It was from uh, predominantly black people. The, a lot of the the quote was saying that, uh, you know, it was it was we don't want you to shoot them in the way that you shoot us. We want you to not shoot us in the way that you don't shoot them. Because it was one of those situations. Like everybody looked at it like they really just stormed the Capitol, and no, like, you didn't see you. It took a while, but you didn't see tear gas. You didn't see the rubber bullets. Mm-hmm. You didn't mm-hmm. see any of that stuff. And that stuff happened when we was talking about protests. It wasn't even like straight on African, but like the fact that they were, you know, people were protesting in the streets and trying to bring about, um, you know, I can't think of the word, but try to bring bring about more light to the, to the social injustice movement and bringing that together. And you had... You know, they had they brought all the cops out, the National Guard, everything to kind of try to shut it down. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: with that that's one of the main quotes that I saw from the whole the whole Capitol incident. So, you know, it's uh the whole time, this whole thing that's gone on, it's it's a lot, it's it's forced people to to open their eyes and and see it and just acknowledge that like that it is that it does that it, that it happens and it exists and you can't, it's not something you can ignore.
0: Do you think that you're like your your teammates look at you, you know, kind of now, maybe even more as um you know, as a as a leader, you you know, you really kind of stepped up there. You 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 can relate well, it would seem. I mean, we, we hope we all can relate well to people, um, no matter what their you know races or gender, yeah, but you're in that you're kind of in a you know y- unique position there in a sense. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if it makes it so that you're you're somebody that um, you know can really have strong, meaningful relationships and friendships um, with anybody, because it's so easy for you to to identify with uh, different races you know, and if you yeah, you that, know, you I don't stronger I, over the past since, since. Yeah. I'm since, not sure.
1: I'm not sure how my, how, you know, I can't, You never really know how somebody gonna see you. You don't know how, I don't know how my teammates see me, if it, if it made me more of a leader or whatnot, but it, it made them more open to have those conversations and that's it made a them talk. more open to, to be able to just talk. And, you know, I think even, even for the people I was around just to be more, aware of maybe things they say or or looking out for each other and looking out for things that that go on and it's just something that like has always been and i don't even know but i didn't even realize it until this all went on like it's been like i guess a passion of mine or something i've cared about deeply you know one of my favorite movies is is glory road which Mm -hmm. which talks about that you know with uh with texas western and
0: bringing african
1: americans into ncaa basketball um yeah, it's a great story. It's 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 one of those that I, and I don't even think most people know about it or, or, or know that movie, but it is it's touching and it's and it's and it's just uh it's a great one so. I I don't know how my teammates see me, but they were definitely open to to having more conversation and doing that and that's all I really care about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um you know there's something in that Players Tribune um essay you wrote uh that Stuck out, and you just said, um, you know, speaking of the idea of having an impact on people's lives, you said uh, every day is an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. So it, it it really it sounded like this. There was some clarity somehow for for you to maybe see what maybe your mission could be. In addition to wanting to be the best pitcher you could be, but just how with your platforms, how you really could impact the world and um, that it just it sounded like you know you re- you really felt good to be able to say that and, and, and yeah I'm, I'm sure you're going to be able to go out now and, and and do some great things in the years ahead
1: yeah you know i don't know the exact quote but but kobe talks about it even though he's like that's what i don't know if he says something like that's what you know true greatness or um something like that but it's he he his, it's something about you know, the most important thing you can do is like the impact you can have on other people's lives. And it's, 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 I think that's his quote. And then, you know, Jackie Robinson has the quote, you know, a life is not important, except in the impact it has on other people's lives. One of my all time favorite
0: quotes, that
1: one, one of the, it's one of the best ones. And so, you know, I think it's something that people, athletes and, and other, and other people are starting to realize that that you can do it at any, at any point in your life, you know, and it may be something small. It may be something small that impacts somebody that you never see again. Right. You may never see that person again. You may you may just you may open the door for someone. You know, wish them a good day, and that may turn that person's life around because they may have been having a terrible day. And you tell them, you give them some, give them a nice compliment, or tell them something. You know, you wish them a good day, give them a nice smile, and they may, and it may just turn them around, and you 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 may never know. You may never know how you impact someone. You may never know, but it's something about treating people right, and treating people with respect. And then if you're able to do it on a bigger, on a bigger surface where you're able to give back and affect people and affect communities, then, then that's where you see true impact.
0: And I, I think athletes uh, maybe aren't – it's tough to think about this all the time, but you, know, you have to realize you're, you're being watched wherever you go, whatever you do. You know, there's no like, hidden moment out on the field. Two hours for a game, I mean, when there were fans in the stands, um, yeah. Somebody's some kid you know, kids got binoculars on you and is watching how you carry yourself, you know, things like that. You're 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 always being watched, so you you have a chance to be a role model and an, you know, and an impact player always. Yeah, and you always use the awareness of that.
1: Yeah, you always have the chance. Everybody's always looking at you. You know, um, you know, people want to look at you know. Maybe how Deshaun Watson's handling the situation now about trying to get out of Houston. But then you look at the things that he did for that city and what he's done for the community. You know, shout out to Sean, but you know, he he's really giving back. I know when he was a rookie, I think it was, he gave like it was something. He gave like his game checks away or he did he gave he did it was something to give back to the to the workers at the stadium. And he just Mm -hmm. continued to do stuff, giving out stuff, giving out stuff at Thanksgiving. Like you see it all over. You see guys giving back, you know, our, our, I mean, my teammate Adam Wainer just won the Roberto Clemente award. And that's one of the most selfless individuals I've ever been around. And he said, that's the, that's the coolest award he's ever won in his life. Uh Um, Because it just meant he impacted so many people. And, you know, it was never about the recognition, you know, I think he found it cool to win the Roberto Clemente award because he got some recognition for it, but he didn't, he didn't do it to, or want to win the award. He did it to impact people. And the award just kind of comes with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What a great honor. It's one of my, one of my favorite awards in sports is Roberto Clemente. Part of it is because he was my favorite player growing up. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Speaking of another great player and somebody to play during that same era, you've had a chance to connect with as a, as a, um, as a Cardinal and, and um, just lost um, Bob Gibson not too long ago. I saw a great picture of you in the dugout in a, what looked like a fairly animated conversation with, um, with Gibby. I, w- I wonder what, what it was like for you to be able to um, have a relationship and connect with him and, and what he meant, what you've learned about him.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, that's special. You know, he, he gave me his number. He gave me his email address and just to be able to pick up the phone, I picked up the phone a couple multiple times in the off season, just to call and talk to him, you know, first see how he was doing and whatnot. You know, he, 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 he was, he looked out for me. He was trying to have a conversation with me. I didn't even know. I was going about my business during the day. Somebody came up to me and told me Gibson was looking for me. And I was like, Dang. Okay, I dropped everything I was doing, ran over there, went yeah. into the dugout, was like, "All right, let's talk." You know, how you throw, how did you throw your slider? What was your mentality? And I just pick up the phone and whenever I had a question and and try to develop a relationship with a legend. You know, if you get a legend like that, you're able to learn from from someone like that. It's never going to be bad. It's never going to be a bad thing. Asking them different questions. You know, what was your mentality going into games? How did you? How did you? You know, because it's a different game you now, but it's it, it's always the same one. It was different in the fact that, you know, whatever year that was when when he had a 68, um, one 68. point one two.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know, he uh I don't know what it was. He still lost like nine games, whatever. Yeah. Absurd, but I think he threw like in his career some or whatever it was that year, he threw a hand However many CGs, like 28 complete games, <laughs> and the and the question was like, how'd yeah. you do it? You didn't get tired, like I know you didn't just throw 110 pitch complete game every time. Like some of those had to be 140. Some of them might have been something. He was like, yeah, of course I got tired, you know. But did I think that whoever was in the bullpen was was better than me? Well, the answer is no. So if, <laughs> if uh, I forget who his manager was, it might have been Red. Red champions, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was red. So you know, you'd be like, well, do you think that guy's better than me? And if he thought so, then he'd take me out. And if he didn't, which most of the time he didn't, he'd leave me in there and I'd just keep throwing. You know, I'd get tired at some point, but at that point, you, you know, you give it everything you got, whatever, whatever bit of tiredness you have, like you just got to keep going through it.
0: Well, and, and what, I mean, there, there, there may not have been a, a more fierce competitor at any position, let alone on the mound, than Bob Gibson. I mean, it, I, I, mm-hmm. I laugh thinking about today a manager going out after, you know, in the sixth <sighs> inning or something to, to take him out. Like, good luck.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, every, you hear all
1: the stories about, you know, he had that look on his face of, like, and he was mean, he didn't talk to anybody, he'd throw at whoever, he'd throw inside. And that's just who he was. That's, that's the way he went about his business. It didn't matter if you were his teammate or not. He was, he was on all the time. Like, it was always on. But he tells, he tells a funny story. He told me a funny story about, you know, everybody who got in the box was, like, was scared because of the way he was looking at them. And, and he's like, you know, I really just had bad eyesight. Like, I, could, I had to squint. <laughs> he's like, I had to squint to see the signs. But everybody thought I was looking mean at them, so I just, I never said anything. I was just like, hey, if, it's, if this is going to help with it, I'm going to keep doing it. And so everybody thought he was, like, looking at them with the scowl, which he might have been as well. But he was also like, I just had bad eyesight, and I couldn't see the signs. So I had to really squint and, like, really look in there and focus. So I thought that was funny. That's great. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, did, did he tell you about uh... – about his basketball career i figure you guys had a lot to talk about you know he was tall. yeah
1: i never i never asked him about his harlem globe trotters days or anything like that i try to keep it on baseball and, and right. about that but I, I know he
0: was a crazy athlete i know he was and he was great and a basketball player at creighton you know in his hometown mm-hmm. of omaha and yeah, uh, um, yeah What what you know what a what a just a. Extraordinary just, athlete and, and somebody to represent the Cardinals is about as well
1: Yeah, just possible. a pure athlete.
0: Yeah. Um, well, speaking of great athletes, um, it looks like you may have a new teammate next year, um, just about as good a, at his position as there is in, in Nolan Arenado, who appears to be on his way um, to St. Louis to play third base. What would your thoughts be if, if um, the deal does, in fact, happen and you look over and you have Arenado playing? Like,
1: shoot man if you ain't excited about that i don't know what there is to get what there is to get excited about you add a guy like that who you know arguably whoever you want to ask potentially you know uh you know the the best third baseman in the league right you know right up there with with the top guys with you know with with rendon with with manny uh, uh you know however you want to look at it but yeah. to have him over there third and you add a guy like that in the order you know, you put him and Goldschmidt back to back and uh you instantly get better. You instantly get excited knowing that you know if there's a ground ball hit over there at third base, like it's out pretty much ten out of ten times. Like that dude's won Gold Glove every year, like for a reason. He's that good and, and he puts up those numbers. So it's nothing but excitement. You know, I'm just looking forward to getting to know him, seeing uh seeing how he goes about his business. I know he works hard and uh you know it's a it's a good addition to the clubhouse.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, you know, it underscores the, again, the you know, the business of baseball, you know, just where, you know, it, it looks like they, that, that he and the Rockies, had you know, it's sort of, uh, gotten to the kind of the end of the road. It's going to happen. You're going through your own situation on the business side with, with arbitration. Um, does it, do you, do you get, do you get that reminder every once in a while that, Hey, it it is business. And I know you mentioned your mom with, with kind of her business background. Uh, what's, what's, what's it been like going through, um, arbitration for the first time?
1: Um, I think just in everything you, you, you understand like slowly, but surely, like it is, it is a business like this game is as you get older, you know, you always play the game. You always got to remind yourself why you play the game and that you play the game because you fell in love with it and that's where it starts. Um, you know, the whole business side of things, like it just, it it happens. It is the way it is. You, you start to understand things. So, um, in terms of that, like, it's just, you know, it's just something you learn. You start to begin to understand and you, and you see the way things work. And, um, but at the end of the day, you just, all you can do is go out there and take care of you and take care of your job and, and do what you can to help the team win. And, uh, at the end of the day, it's about winning. Everything else is kind of going to take care of itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Jack, this has been great. We've really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed getting to know you and, um, and hearing some of your thoughts about, uh, about the game and life and, and things going on in this country. And appreciate you uh, being willing to share this and really excited about you and your future and things you can do and, um, and look forward to following you for years to come. Really appreciate it.
1: No, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me.
0: Thank you so much and, and uh, good luck this season. Look forward to seeing no, you Thank you.
1: I uh, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. Jeff Flaherty.